Okay, everybody. I thought it might be interesting for you, and I know it would be good for me to share a little bit what life was like in Eretz Yisrael on and after October 7th. And I'm sure you heard a lot about it already, but as both a resident and a reshiva, perhaps I can add something beneficial. That was the, that was the angle. That's why I engaged in this talk. And I know it's good for me to be able to organize my thoughts and feelings a little. And if nothing else, remember Klai Yisrael, who Klai Yisrael is going through a lot. So it's a time when we have to get together. Family gets together in times of difficulty. So, so it's still a time of difficulty. And Bezrat Hashem, the Rabbonu Hashem will be happy with our efforts. Um, just for context, I mean, you guys mostly know me, right? I'm a schoolmaker. Um, how old am I? 55? That's how it feels old, you know? I don't, I don't say that in Yeshiva. <laughs> and uh, I was I taught at Ishtar in the past, and now I, of course, in Chappelle's, and that's why I came to YU to uh, try to bring Talmudim to Chappelle's, etc. So I want to speak openly and honestly. We're celebrating Simchus Tar and Beit HaKarim. That's what Yeshiva is, you know, Jerusalem. And it is celebrated in Yeshiva. It's a beautiful time, right? Simchus Tar and Yeshiva is a special. The night of Hakafas and the Yeshiva was particularly Lebedek. It was beautiful, very heartsick, very awake and stuff like that. As I, I hadn't remembered that. I wouldn't say I blocked it out because of traumatic reasons, but I didn't, you know, I didn't, whoever, who thought about what Simple Star Night was like? But as I was preparing this little talk, I was trying to review and I said, oh, that was that was a particularly Lebedek time. And since we're a small Yeshiva, it is not always that way. It's not always Lebedek at night. It was not always so lively at night. So, and of course, Simple Star Shemini Tzeres, as you know, is one of the holiest times of the year, one of the highest times of the year. It's during the silence, and we're now, so that was that was the night. We're now Shachris, so we start morning in Yerushalayim. And in the middle of the silent Shemon Esrei, middle of the silent prayer, you hear the sirens, first sirens. And sirens? Is that really a siren? At first you're not sure. Then you are sure. Oh, that was a siren. I've been, I've been in Israel for other wars. I got married during the war. Got married during the Gulf War. Remember, so now what? Here a siren in Milish Monastery. I'm sure it's a siren. Now what? Remember, we all know, in retrospect, we know everything. But back then, we know nothing. It's a siren. Okay, you know what a siren means, but what does it really mean? It's a siren. Should I stop Shimon Esrei? Should I get the yeshiva to stop? Should I continue? So I decided to continue with Shimon Esrei. I kept going. Afterwards, I conferred with Rabbi Kalinsky, my fellow Shiva, and he actually hadn't even heard the first sirens. He was early. He heard it a little bit, wasn't sure, but he definitely was not clear. And I and Rabbi Lerner said, no, that was definitely a siren. So, so what should we do if there's more? What do we do if there are more sirens? Send our yeshiva, as you know, has a wonderful custom of joining all, once a year, really it's only once a year, that we do something with the greater Beit Karim community, three or four shows to get together and Kikardenia in the central plaza there. And okay, so what do we do if there are more sirens? Well, how do we play this? What's going to be with what's going to be with uh, the outside hakafa there? Can we do that? If there will be a siren, do we go? Anyway, one decision we made that was that if sirens happen, we'll finish one essay for Musaf. But really, it was now with long hakafa, so we said we'll go into the miklat. We have a miklat. You guys been in the miklat? You ever there? I don't know if I was ever there, but but. So we're going to go into the Mikvah for the Hakafas. And we continue davening. Not very concerned. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say at this point we're very concerned. And we start the Hakafas. And then more sirens. A lot more sirens. And they start coming. 
And I was zochet to take the yeshiva through COVID, together with others. And I said, I can handle this. You know, that's what leadership is all about dealing with. Leadership is all about dealing with slightly difficult situations. Welcome, Clay. And um, and it might even be an advantage. You know, you always have to know. You always have to play things to your advantage. So it could be maybe going through the Chabrusa. Oh, welcome. Thanks for coming. My brother-in-law is in Chabrusa. Oh, really? Whoa. Whoa. Nice. That means you're, you're, he's married to your sister. Yes, Rita's. Uh, Beautiful. Wow. Welcome. Very cool. I saw them recently. I ran to me. Yep. So, so, you know, it might be an advantage. Maybe it'd be like cool and hip to have a compass in the, in the McLeod. You never know. So we did continue. Every time there was a siren, if there was a siren during the Hakafas, we moved into the Miklat, and we finished the Hakafa in the Miklat, and then we would move back and start a new Hakafa. That's how we did it, which, and it, it worked. And then certain tell me they were getting nervous. We're saying, Hoshia Samecha, Hoshia Samecha. But more or less, remember that we know nothing really what's going on in the greater, none of our people... Some of the Chiloni by that point had some idea of going on. Hatzalo people had, the army people going on. In the yeshiva, we had no one connected to anything. We have no idea really what's going on. Obviously, it's clear at this point that we're not going to go. The compass will go on, down will go on. We're not going to go to Kikardenia. We, we join the other communities for a central dance in the plaza. That's not happening. Uh, but nervousness is, is rising. And then you start to hear uh, reports trickle in a little bit. Rabbi Lerner, who was a connector, so he ran into a Chiloni neighbor and said there was an infiltration in the South, 2030 terrorists, something like that. That was, which is, you know, 2030 terrorists, you have to, you have to appreciate that. Those have been in Israel. Like hearing 2030, any terrorist in the country, I don't, I don't remember ever hearing of a terrorist who's in the country besides, I don't remember, like you hear that he's like running around. You know, you hear there was a terrorist and they've taken care of where he did his dastardly deed. But the fact that there's a situation of like running around un, unchecked, un, unfinished business, that's not like, I, don't, I don't remember ever such a thing. Obviously, there are, there are many terrorist acts in Israel, but that it's unfinished. Never, it's just not, I, I'm speaking to you guys right now, I don't remember ever such a thing. Okay, but it can't be. But despite those initial reports, the Yom continue. We had a nice Suda, continued as well. And of course, then Mosi Shabbos, you check the news, and the numbers of dead are skyrocketing. You know the rest. I want to share a few words which you might not know about the magnitude of what happened. Just like I said, I'm trying to give my perspective and my reflection to someone who was there living through it, thinking about it, and trying to guide Yeshiva through it. So, you know, 1,400 dead, 1,200, whatever the exact number is, 250 hostage. But you have to understand that wasn't the real number. That's not the real number in a certain way. Why? Because we know two things now that we didn't know then, and you might not have be aware of it. That although from an overall view, it was certainly one of the darkest days, if not the darkest day in Israeli military history, because it was a it was a breakdown on all levels. You know, heads will roll when they really figure out when it's all over. Or they certainly should roll, you know, and they will roll, you know, because it's just it's just unfathomable from a from a perspective. Two million dollar wall or whatever it is, and a great army against like what what happened? It was hours and hours until. Things, things reach itself. That's on one level. But on an individual heroism level, I'm convinced it's one of the greatest days of modern Jewish history. On the individual, on the in the overall Army Day, terrible. Individual heroism, unparalleled. There are so many uh, special forces, regular chayalim, police officers, civilians, 
Rav Shaz, we'll get back to that, what we call Kita Konanud, people in the Kibbutzim are defending, and with unbelievable heroism. We'll talk about some of it later that I, that I, I heard firsthand. Uh, that was unbelievable. But what that means, Bidar Chateva, you know, in the ways we don't go Dar but what we see, that means if it hadn't been for all those things, the numbers would have been skyrocketed much, 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 much higher. It wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, this was the, this was the idea, was a guy with a knife who's going to stab a few people, get killed, or blow up a few people. Without those guys, without those hundreds and hundreds of efforts, and you know, I suggest if you haven't seen them, it's fitting to see some of the interviews, it would, the number would have been infinitely higher. You know, inf- not infinitely, but much higher. That's one thing. We also know their plans. The plan was to go into Ashkelon, into more army bases. We, we've, seen, we've seen the plans. So, so my estimation, very guesstimation, is really the number really would have been 15,000 or 20,000. That's why even when you talk about the civilian casualty against the amount of people died, it's not really, in a certain way, it's not the right way to look at it, in my humble opinion, because I don't get to the politics so much, that's not what everybody came to hear, but because it's what they, obviously what happened is important, but it's what they wanted to happen. You know, the plan, the plan was a much more, a much worse plan, Yeah. Um, Zikim Beach. Does the, name, does the name Zikim Beach mean anything to anybody? Zikim Beach. Imagine if October fifth, someone came to you, right? September fifth, someone said to you, "There's a beach north of uh, north of Gaza, and that terrorists attacked the beach in ma- on ma- you know mass massive terrorists. Thirty five people died, and the army base that's behind the beach, eight people died. Right? Altogether, I would tell you, forty three people died. Would have died there." That would have been one of the worst things in Israeli history. If such an like happened. Guess what? That happened October seventh, and you don't even know it. You know why you don't know it? Because it paled in comparison to everything else that most people don't even know that story. And I only knew the story because I happened to be watching a lot of videos. And and I actually I actually uh, emailed to give chizuk and I dedicated shir to one of the chaylim uh, that fell in that in that historic brief. But that that shows you how bad it is. Something that would would have happened in September, we would have still been talking about it. You guys didn't even know what happened. And I happened to know what happened, because I was, you know, there and watching. But you don't even know really. That happened. North of north of Aza, there's a beach called Zikim Beach, and they attacked on the beach, and they would have killed a lot more people. And again, the same type of story. There was uh, tremendous heroism, which held back a much worse catastrophe. And we know today the horrific nature. You know, if you know, if you could see it in the, and I, I suggest again you see these videos also. You can see videos of the older men of Zaka, Zaka, which is the, everyone knows what Zaka is. You see them breaking down, you know, 50, 60-year-old Haredi guys, breaking down when they describe, breaking down, you know, breaking down, crying like babies when they talk about what they went through. Uh, doctors in Abu Kabir, you know what Abu Kabir is? That's where they identify the dead. Talk about their experience. You know, you don't, you don't have to hear about the actual horrific thing. But, uh, you know, I spoke to Chayal, who said he saw people beheaded. He said, he told me he saw it. Well, which I get back to that. I get very interesting. He also said that when he was in Aza, he saw a terrorist coming out with only his underwear, and suddenly a sniper shot him. I didn't know why the sniper shot him. He said, "Look in his bag. He had a grenade." The guy told me the story. He said he had a grenade in his in his underwear on the back. So the plan he was coming out like this, but he was going to flick, flick the grenade. So now, sexual atrocities. I don't want to talk about, but I can tell you things that tour guides told me that they heard. If you want, not for public, but if anybody asks me, I'll tell you. So now. Why am I telling you all this? Because please listen for a moment. This is important. This is important to know because we are Jews and we are humans. Hmm? Jews, humans. As Jews, we are Rahman of Rahman. We're merciful, the son of the merciful. 
very much in the Jewish nature. Shalosh Siman of the Gemara Vodas are in Yevamis tells us Shalosh Simanim Bumazeh Rachmanu Vayshanu Gomli Chasadim. We are we have an embarrassed nature in a good way. We're merciful and we do Chasid. That's what it says. That's the science. David Melech saw the Givonim that wanted to kill Bnei Shol, son of Shol, and he said that these guys are not for us. And he said we're not taking uh, any converts from them because they don't fit the bill for what a Jew should be. That's the Gemara. So we're Rachmanim. So as Rachmanim, we are, David Amel says, Ani shalom I'm a man of peace, but they speak to me war. So we're naturally peace-loving. That's, that's in the Jewish DNA, to be peace-loving. We want to forget, we want to live and live, get live, live. I was just in Berlin uh, two days ago. We want to get radicalized, and I emphasize radicalized, uh, Arabs another chance. But... That's a problem. And as humans, we forget. We're just naturally, we're just naturally forgetful. People don't live with the lessons of history. And human nature is to forget things. They don't really want to kill us. They aren't really that bad. Give them a chance. And I emphasize the radicalized ones. Friends, and this is my, you know, my, my opinion, my reflection, don't forget, right? Because anyway, anyone listening knows they want to do the same thing again and again and again. I took two anecdotal videos, but you can see the people of Hamas saying it, but I saw videos of young Arab girls, I think specifically in, in England. One was saying, you know, nothing can take this, with glee, like the Super Bowl. You know, if you were the Chicago Cubs finally winning the World Series, you know, anybody Cubs fans know, it took them decades and decades and decades, so they finally won in 2006. Now, sports guys, I don't know when they won, but already when I was, I went to baseball, right? But, but nothing can take this day away from us. Whatever happens, we might not win for another 100 years, but that World Series is ours. That Super Bowl is ours. That's with the glee. You can find it online. Another one saying, girls, you know, girls, women in England. We're going to do it again and again and again. And I only bring that anecdote, but it's a sign of what many people think. So form, form your opinions you like. And I'm not telling anyone what opinions you have to form. But what is a terrible thing for do is to ignore reality. Every person has to understand what reality is. There was a certain reality which was revealed here. And you have to see that reality in you when you form opinions, right? And when you ignore reality, you do it at your own peril. Uh, if, uh, you, don't, you don't put a seatbelt on when you're traveling. Uh, again, how you form your opinion, I'm not telling you what to do, but this day has to be etched in, in everyone's consciousness as something real that happened and that can continue to happen. I would say, including that, is to know how much Iran was behind all this. Now, that I don't know is factually, but everybody knows Iran is, you know, the Hamas is the long arm of Iran, the Hezbollah is a proxy. That's that's this common knowledge. And, you know, as U.S. citizens, I think we have to make a point of that. Our, whatever, however we can influence U.S. foreign opinion and policy, you have to take that in mind. And you do, you know, if, there's, if there are people who are behind Iran in whatever way they're behind it, so you're voting for that. If you vote for them or whatever, you know. But just again, I'm not telling you what to do. You could say because of X, Y, Z, whatever. That's but know the reality. People love to ignore reality. People alcoholics. It takes them a very long time. Everybody knows when does an alcoholic finally realize when he hits rock bottom. We hit rock bottom. We are alcoholics. So you have to face the reality of of, of of this thing. Okay. All right. Back to this. The first few days after the seventh were crazy for everyone. I had as a reshiva had a special craziness and had a and whether I should cut off vacation, because in Israel, I know it's here, but we have some star and there's a week of vacation, a nice week. A lot of people, it's like a very beloved week. Kids are away, you know, during the summer, the kids are home. For a baby, it's like a special week. The kids are back in school. 
the wife is made back to work. I don't know, but you know, the Rebbe's off. So do I call the yeshiva back or not? Um, I'm going to get back to that. But I want to highlight something you already know and just add a perspective to it. By being one of the most painful times in recent Jewish history, this is also one of the greatest times. Mamish. The whole country is getting together with a shared purpose. Right, left, center. And you have to, to appreciate that. You have to how how deep the schism was in Israeli society pre this, right? Young men and women returning from Thailand to serve 150% or higher of Milum, the community turning up for duty. Chesed galore, a tremendous amount of Haredim pitching in in their way. It wasn't just, though, that we were together for shared purpose, and we are. It was a greatness of that shared purpose. You know, in our short stay in this world, you may Shivim Shana, the Guruch Monusha. We're here for 70, 80 years now, modern medicine a little bit longer yeah, on this planet. We're here to destroy the bad and build up the good. That's really our purpose in life. As Torah Jews, we always know that, and we're always involved with that, and including to centrally build up the goodness in ourselves and the badness in ourselves. You know, my Rebbe Mendel Blachman, someone asked him one time, where is Amalek? He said, look in the mirror. That was, you know, I don't speak like that, but that's what he said to his Talmud. Ram Chal discusses this in Das Tfunas and Derech Hashem, the idea of, especially Derech Hashem, of the Bir HaRa. We're here to make Birurim, to get rid of the Ra, Mitzotis, all that stuff, right? That's our whole purpose, is to be Masalik Ra and to be Megadol Tov. Kolech Adoti Darko. Yeah? That's really, in, in a in certain broad way, what we're here for. So this is on a totally different level. I and mean, this is this is like a mullet, this is raw, this is sudden, this is cruelty, this is barbarity, this is like, you know, that's why I'd like to talk about the numbers and not the horrifics, because the horrifics catch people a little bit more, and I'm not going to go more into them, but but that I think it does show something poignant about it. This is really raw. And and the beauty was you had all of Israeli society, and you have all of Israeli society to a very large extent, still like unified in this beer hara, which really means like in a greater way, the whole Israeli society, religious, not religious, is unified in the Tachos Abriah, which is very cool, right? So, you know, you, have to, you don't have to be a big Baal Musser and Ovid Hashem to get it. I would say you have to be a normal human being, but many people don't get it, right? Either because of my people, it's wickedness, it's naivete, or it's some combination of both. Shmuel Orbach, a famous guttle, a little bit of a controversial guttle in Shmuel Zalman's son in Israel said that in every community you have, you have the good guys, you have the bad guys, and you have Tamimim, you have naive people. And you can deal with the naive people, and you can deal with the wicked people. The problem is when the wicked people and the naive people get together, then you have a problem. Yeah, think about that. So that's what he said. So that's kind of what that's kind of what's going. On. I I personally encouraged some of my talmidim, the ones that were up for it at the time, whatever that had the means, to be engaged in the in the social media PR war for Israel. And part of the reason was because of that. My own feeling was because I feel like there's these you know there are people who are right out anti-Semites or, or or radicalized Islam in different Degrees. You're not going to talk to them. There's a lot of people on the fence, and those people, Jews and non-Jews, I feel like I really, honestly, I felt like you have to save them. That's that's how I look at it. You know, it's like saving them and getting these people on the right side of history and not the wrong side of history. You know, time to make a choice. By the way, more intelligent people got a long time time ago. You know, is this Germany in 1938? That's a, you hear that question come up. So I don't think so, but I do believe we're in a worse place than Germany 1865, 1870. I heard a lecture recently by a historian that said that a lot of the precedents for Nazi Germany were really happening. The term anti-Semitism is a unique term created in Germany, I forget the name of the guy, around 1870. There was there was a Austrian paper, I think, called Der Sturmer, which was the name adopted by Joseph Goebbels, took a lot of his 
vitriolic straight from that paper that was in the 1870s, right? And the 1870s, you can check all this. And I'm happy to anybody ask, I could send you a lecture. Uh, not a mind of, of you to ever uh, going into this, all this. He says, where did it start? Listen to this. It started before 1870 in Germany in the universities. What was the first thing which moved Herzl to Zionism? Everybody knows it was the driver's trial. No. The first thing that drove him, that's what everybody says, the first thing that drove him, to, drove him to his state was when he was kicked out of a fraternity as a Jew. That was, the, that was his first significant meeting of anti-Semitism. The Dreyfus trial brought it home to him in a much stronger way, and that's what historically stood out, but that was it. So it's this combination of universities. Now, why do I say it's worse because we have the Tamimim, we have the Stam anti-Semites, and then you have radical Islam, which is all over. Now, like, let's say something like, a lot of people have been on the case of radicalism for years. No, I was talking about it 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I'll tell you one thing. I had heard an expert speak one time, and he said, this is maybe maybe 12 years ago, 15 years ago. He said there was a Mattel is a toy company. He says there's a little bit of a, there's a doll that if you press the button, the doll says, I'm a mama, right? But if you slow it down, it says Islam is light. That's shocking. It means there's someone very high up in Mattel who has an Indian to get little kids to believe that Islam is light. Exactly what he said. Okay? And radical Islam is taking on many forms, but the global program is the same. It's a question of how far you go. But the idea of wanting a caliphate and wanting, you have to understand that. A lot of the people you run into, they're nice, regular Arabs who are living their life and just want to pray to, you know, worship God and make their buck, let their families be religious. But there is many different forms of this thing that really want to run the world. That's, that's a reality. Okay, Neville Chamberlain goes down in history as one of the most foolish, foolish people in history. 1938, comes back, peace in our times. We'll, we'll, so we'll see the Sudetenland, Sudetenland to, to, to Hitler, and then it will calm down, right? And if you know that. But he looks like a fool, absolute fool, and hindsight is a fool. When Neville Chamberlain, in fact, was a very, very wise uh, politician. He was a very good politician, a very brilliant guy. But Hitler, Hitler, uh, Hitler fooled him. So, and the only person who saw it was, of course, my pick for the great men of the 21st century, perhaps centuries before that, Winston Churchill was in political wilderness in the 30s, but he saw the threat of Nazi Germany. So I'm just bringing that, you know, those who don't learn from history are going to suffer from its thing. So you have to understand, just like people didn't see it back then, and they, they blind them for different reasons. And read the history. Don't, don't trust me. Read Winston his, Churchill's it's a very good book, The Last Line. There's a whole volume about his political, I forget what the name, we wrote the book. Three fat books on Churchill I wrote, but one is all about that, that period. He had like his own little secret service. He had people under, but the only world leader was actively, who was actively anti-Hitler strongly then was one guy who was in political illness. And the only reason he came back was because of Ch- Chamberlain's mistakes, but otherwise we wouldn't know who Winston Churchill was. He would have been he would have been another you know Boy George or something like that. Uh, that's it. Anyway, so and it's incredible to me personally just after 1911 that so much of the world fell asleep. Okay, let's move on. So we're living in Israel in this amazing time. A Rebbe in yeshiva visited his son at the base, and I want to show you some stories that I know firsthand to bring that point up. And he said, I didn't recognize my son. You know his fortitude, his drive. His, his, his passion. I said it was like a different kid that I was talking to. This is, this is before they went in. And an officer drove this Rebbe to Be'er Shevi. He had to fix his glasses. And he said, look, I want you to know something. I'm Chiloni. I'm secular Jew. I have a wife. I have children. I have a good life. I'm here to die. You know, I am ready to die for this cause. That was, you know, that's, that's, this is what I heard myself. And, okay, so back to what we did as a Roshiva. In the few days after the attack, we call the guys back to Shiva early. 
a pretty obvious choice. That was one thing I remember I was asked about that. But more importantly was focusing myself into the yeshiva, to what our role was. This is what, what I spent a lot of time thinking about. Like, what's, what's our role? Of course, to be no bold, to realize the tragedy that's going on and to, to dig into that's obvious. But more importantly, that's not, that's not a role per se. That's a, that's a feeling. That's a, that's a, that's a musr. I have, to, I have to feel for the people who are suffering, people getting evacuated, like that. Do we go down south? Do we build, build fences? Do we pick lettuces? Do we go to the greenhouses? There's so many things to do. So I personally, I'm sharing my reflections here, I waited very strongly as fellow Mahatala members of the yeshiva, was to realize our base medrash, our learning, our davening, is a vital part of the battle. That was how I looked at it. That's how I looked at it personally. That's what I tried to lead the yeshiva to, to realize that and to try, in my humble way, uh, and to have the yeshiva step up to that and have the Talmudim internalize that. Not as, a, not as a slogan, not as a cliche, not as a, as a statement, but to realize we're, 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 part of the, we're doing our part of the battle here. The Pasuk says, we stood in, Gemara Maka says that we have stood in Yerushalayim to discuss the learning. So Chazal clearly, many, many, many Chazals clearly indicated this Chazal Sarna, the Roshiva of Chabad Yeshiva met Ben-Gurion after the Six-Day War. The Ben-Gurion at Kevrach of all places. Ben-Gurion turned to him and said, what do you think of my army? So he said, you have to realize, without my, I'm just saying how the way it's brought down, he said, without my uh, learners, your army wouldn't have been successful. That's what, uh, you know, Ben Gurion wasn't going after him and hit him right back in between his. As Chazal say, if the non Jews knew how much the Korbanot protected them, they wouldn't challenge the base of Mikdash. They would send uh, forces to protect the base of Mikdash. The Korbanot of Sukkot, of course, the Poriachag. Revolba uh, writes that if the secular realized how important the Yeshivot were for their protection, they wouldn't challenge the yeshiva. They would send, he borrowed that terminology, that formulation, they would send uh, troops to protect the yeshiva. Rav Cook, if anybody wants to see really Bahar Chava, Rav Cook has amazing letters during the First World War to exempt the uh, yeshiva students. Again, I'm pretty sure it's during the First World War, look what it had to be. But he has, goes on and on and on. Anybody wants to see it, I'm happy to get those sources. Rav Cook has in his letters, has a whole beautiful letters, like four pages, five pages, going on and on and on and on and on and on and on. About the importance of learning, we personally extended night seder in yeshiva, and I advise talmidim to try to learn beritzifud, to learn without interruption, an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, night. That was, you know, to try that, and that's how we attached ourselves to the great battle in a real, meaningful, and hopefully beneficial way. Personally, it was very beneficial for me personally. You know, I felt myself, and I shared this lesson. Uh, I said I want to speak honestly and openly. You know, as a high school guy, I was a big sports guy actually an all-star who lost to MTA on those, you know, that very court, or at least what was that court, I don't know if they've redone it, and many other schools. I basically totally fell out of sports for like 20 years. And then there was a Rebbe in uh, Asia Tower was actually McCalkill me. He ruined me because he told me about, uh, you, know, you, know, you guys know football, but he told me about the amazing, you like football? No, no anybody a sports guy here? He told me about the amazing uh, Patriot comeback, I think, in the Super Bowl. They were behind 25-3, to 3, and they came back, tied the game, won the game, and I had to check that game out. And that kind of like was, that, that ruined me. So, 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 so I never watch a full game, but I'll watch clips and things like that. There are many times during the year when I don't. As, as a Rashiv and a prom guy, during L.I. Try Less, or Sphera, or the three weeks, obviously. You know, it's not like, I don't uh, think person has to have control over these things. And it's not, that's, that's how I am. But I could watch, I don't mean on Yom Kippur, Arab Yom Kippur, right? But I could watch. It's like a religious thing for me not to watch. I tell you honestly, as I stand in front of you, I had no, I don't remember such a thing since I had like no desire, 
no time to know what was going on in the NFL. Zero. It, like it just it was it was meaningless to me, and I know a lot of people had that feeling. Like, oh, let's see how the Steelers are doing. Who's in the playoffs? What happened with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets? Like, it just when people are terribly bleeding with the captives or who knows where and who knows what condition, it didn't matter to me. And Borchem that lasted for me for quite a time, and it was it was like a precious time. We'll talk more about that. You, know, you have to ride a wave in things. That was a precious time that I had that feeling, um, and you know, just for the football fans, like after I decided at a certain point that feeling waned by me. But I said, you know, I made it through this much of the season without football. We're gonna have a football this season, and thank God I did. And I wouldn't have even known who was in the Super Bowl besides the fact that Alan Gondra came into Shibu with his. With, I didn't even know if it meant that they won the Super Bowl. Or they, and then I realized after they won the AFC. I didn't even know who was in the NFC for like two weeks afterwards. I, I, by now, I put together, but I never I haven't watched a clip about it. You know, I'm talented in sports. I figured it out. So back to focusing, right? We spoke about remembering the fact the captives. I was over to write a tefillah for the captives. And if you guys saw it, anybody wants it, you can email me. I'm happy to share my my prayer. And of course, we spoke about. The, our mighty warriors all the time, the incredible mysterious nephews of the soldiers, and the otherworldly Akarsatol we have to have to them. Those were the themes that were, you know, by myself and others in the yeshiva that we were emphasizing all the time. And I tried to strike a difficult balance, which I think is true. You know, I think an emissa person has to totally appreciate what the Chaylim are doing and see their mysterious nephews on a different level. And together with that, to realize that our role as B'nai Torah, as yeshiva students, is vital and not feel guilt. You should feel inspired. You feel pushed, you should feel ambitious, but you don't have to feel guilty. You know, my Rebbe of Life there spoke about this in general. A person has to have his role. You can't, it's too much. You know, just in general, you're, 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 we can be moved by things, but then it's like ruts of a shove. You have to be moved to a place of, okay, now what's my role in all these things, right? If the artillery guy feels bad and leaves his post because, look, my friends are in a more dangerous situation than me, he's going to do bad for the infantry, because infantry needs artillery. So he's like, what are you doing here? Why are you, where, where, are the, you know, where are the bombs? I felt bad for you guys, so I had to come on the front line. Like, what are you doing? Uh, so too, of course, intelligence guy. Like, the intelligence guy is saving the infantry guy. The infantry guy doesn't have, he's, it's true, intelligence is not, usually not as dangerous as infantry, but he can't take that feeling in a rational way and leave his post. So, so I think that's similar to how I see the role of, of, of those who are learning. Now, intense feelings wane. I think that's natural and okay. Before getting to that, I want to share just a little bit more on the amazing spirit that reigned and still remains, although not as dominantly as before. You know, I don't think the feeling in the country is as, but it's still there. I'll just give you some, some short examples. So we'll be done in about 10 minutes. So this is from actually Talmud and Yeshiva. You guys know him, Avi Lewis? He's in Shaldag, which is one of the top units, top four or five units in the army. So this guy is like, he's working for Google. He's a top-level guy in a top-level unit, all right? And he, he's a close Talmud of mine, and a uh, close Talmud of Chappelle's. Very proud of him. So he wrote this for the Times of Israel in the Israeli paper. I've never been more hopeful for Israel's future. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but listen listen to just a little bit. And again, I'm, I'm drawing on anecdotes that I saw to bring it home. Whatever I saw is happening all over the place. Prat hayotim kulo yatsa. A detail leaves the general principle teaches about this. So the fact that I'm running into people like this means that there are a lot more people like that. I'd happen to run into the few amazing people. I know as we I always knew we had the best, but it took being on base to get their mind from the inside. So again, he's in a top unit. It means top is top Israeli guys, or you know, the top probably 0.3% of Israeli society, or five percent, you know, one in two hundred in his unit, something like that, shall die. 
Take, for example, all the Jews and Israelis abroad that pause their lives to catch the flight home. Here's some personal exam- examples of guys from my unit that I serve with. Tom is completing his resident, resident, medical residency as a heart surgeon in Toronto. He left behind his wife and young kids to don the IDF uniform. Noam is a serial entrepreneur, former big tech VP, and successfully led a $1 billion exit as CEO of one of Israel's most famous startups. He swapped his apartment in Manhattan for a tent and black coffee in the field. Naor left his medical studies in Italy. Tomer was vacation with his wife in Paris. Ron left his startup in, C- in Boston. He's CEO. Gabriel was hiking in Greece. Elad was wrapping up a postdoc in, in physics at a world-class university. And so many more. These are just a handful of folks that I served with. They dropped everything the moment they knew they heard their country was in need. There are many thousands more in every unit, every battalion, and of every rank. Okay, now this is from uh, our our executive director, our Javelin's son. And someone that, you, that we know, someone that I know. Uh, one example of many. You should know that my soldier and I are going to truly live this moment. We will win at any price and will not hesitate. This is our land, and there is no greater goal than this. Listen to this. It's just it's so. Know that if something should happen, do not be sad that I because I fell in happiness on the land that I love so much. Do not worry about me. Continue to grow and develop in our land. Abba, what excitement! We have reached the Sea of Gods. This is a few weeks, uh, months later. I remember as a child during Birkan Amazon, I saw the perk pictures in Birkan Gush Katif and dreamed of going back there. Inside, I knew that one day this vision would come true and I would be there. I wish you could be with me in these moments. I said Shechianu in my name and in the name of the whole family. So this is the people I know. I saw a video, a discussion, exactly the discussion. A chayal is talking to his friend. I went in already. You know, for, I was the first one into, into X, X home. I know how to do it. I'll go first. The other guy says, no, it's my turn. You went in first before. Yeah, guys, you know what it means to go in first. That means your chance of, of coming back in a, in a, in a, in a bag is, goes up unfold times. But that's the discussion. They're fighting over who's going in first. I win already. I have the experience. You win already. It's, I have to take the experience. Now listen to this. It, goes, it gets, gets more. You have four kids, right? It's more dangerous for you. It means more. I only have two. I have four kids. I've already raised. I've already have a family. I have something to leave behind. You have to establish your family. I'll go first. Exact video. Happy to send it out. Mind-boggling. So, so, I said the feelings wane. What's our reaction to that? To feel bad? I don't think so. And this is an important thing. I don't see doing anything. Intense feelings wane. You know, in marriage, you're infatuated. When we first get married, it wanes. It's, it's like, you know, it's going to go to the infatuation thing. People are looking for the infatuation. That's why sometimes... People cheat on their wives. No, 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 don't do that. Because it, it's going it, to, I mean, not you guys, right? It, it, I think it's an important thing to spread a, a knowledge for the world to know that that's called, there's an infatuation cycle that lasts like 12 to 18 months, and then you're not infatuated anymore, whoever it is, right? It just doesn't work like that. So, but feelings wane. And I don't think it's helpful to feel bad about it. Oh, how, why do, why do, why, why could I imagine myself seeing a, a football video? Because, you know, life went on. It could be someone really learns a lot of Muslim, a lot of Hasidis, and sits all the time. I don't know, I'm not such a guy. But normal people who aren't really, really trained themselves, feelings get less. We don't feel young for the whole year. We have highs and lows. But I think, here's the important thing. I think this is a big, this is a big lesson. That's sort of what I share lessons as we, as we get to finish up. Ride a nice wave as long as possible. You know, when you're feeling a good wave of Avodah Hashem, when you're feeling a wave of Akar Zatov, when you're feeling a wave of intensity, when you're feeling a wave, you ride it. 
You know, a person doesn't not go out because he says, look, I'm going to go out to eat. I'm going to spend a lot of money. The meal's going to end. Why go on vacation two weeks? We're going to be back home in two weeks, right? Why, why, am, why am I going to Paris? I'm going to be back. Why read a book if I'm going to forget it? Why beat the Yitzhahara if, if I'm going to fall the next time? There's a value in living those moments and riding the wave, you know? And one, for the good things produced, right? I tell you, at a certain point, there was a word that the worst fighting was happening at 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. So I took with an old Talmud of mine from Chappelle, from, from Asian Torah, we took on that time. I learned from 11 to 2, and he learned from 2 to 5 for Ritzifas. Now, I couldn't, couldn't keep that up. I think he kept that for a week. I kept it maybe for two weeks, three weeks. You know, it crushed me, but, but okay, you know, it was, it was great while it lasted. So because I can't always be like that, don't, don't, don't take away what you've accomplished. Two, by living at that level, it shows you what you can accomplish, you know. I, went to, I, I don't think this guy knew that he could learn without interruption from 2, a, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m., but he did it. You know, so you see you do it. The more, a lot of, a lot of our spiritual life, our religious life, is just knowing we can do, do things. David Melech says, when it's come to, to kill Goliath, what does he say? Hashem will help me? No, you know what he said? Gamesari, gamesadov, he gets a zavdecha. I've done this before. I can handle Goliath. I've, I've taken on bears. I've taken on lions. And I won. Right? So David Amalek is showing us this lesson of, obviously, but, but, but that we, by drawing on where you've accomplished, you know you can accomplish it in the future. That was her life's insight. So, you know, one, one other last point, and I'll talk about going to the south, you know, this is a great time of Achtas, and we were going to be part of a historic Achtas event. You guys saw it, but there was a little history. You know, the main Baal Shuvi Yeshivas were once, and really a lot of Baal Shuvi Yeshivas have had a whole effect on the whole world. We don't have time to go into that now. But there was a time when there were, you know, great men of a certain time and type, from Noah Weinberg, from Karl Rosenberg, from Dr. Schoener, uh, Mendel Weinbach, had very different versions of what the purpose of a Baal Shuvi Yeshiva was and what it was about. Shabbos was a later spinoff. And uh, eventually split up, and they formed the Torah and Orsameach and the Machon Shlomo, which was the Machon Yaakov. And eventually, Shabbos came along also. And not getting into that, but you know, unfortunately, as very often happened, it wasn't just an ideological split. Everybody walked away friendly. There was, you know, this, it's no secret that there was there was there was institutional uh, angst, if we will. And uh, we saw a historic opportunity because everybody's talking Achdus to bring everybody together. So some heads of institutions. Uh, we planned together. I was, myself was involved. My friend David Rasser from Asia Torah, from Machon Yaakov, Machon Shlomo. We had uh, Yosef Flynn and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and others. And, and from Orsameach, we had Rav Schiller's son, uh, Shlomi Schiller. And we really planned an event together. And we had an event, and all the heads of the yeshiva spoke, and we had a club And it was really, it was historic. So, you know, just like riding the wave, Things, things open up. Every, every opportunity in life has difficulty. You know, one can look at just the darkness of October 7th and coming afterwards. One of the most important reflections I can share with you guys, which I'm sure you've seen also, is, is the good that came out of this thing is just, it's mind-boggling. The Chizik and Amuna, we're not, I'm not even going into that, you know. The, the guys with ponytails without kippo with sitzes around, which are ubiquitous in Israel today, and the Chizik and Shabbos, the Chizik and Achtos, you know. Every, every situation in life is like that. On March 11th, we made last point. We took the yeshiva down south. If anybody makes it to Israel over this time, I highly suggest it. It's really it brings the Horbin home. I mean, you see 900 cars, some of them looking decades old and charred. I can't, you can't believe they're from only three months ago. I mean, it looks like they've been there for 50 years. Bullet holes, airbags. There was a GM, GMC Savannah 
with its to- roof totally blown off to one side. They got RPG. I mean, think of what happened in there. Uh, eight people died there. We went to kibbutz Nirim. Now, this is amazing. Okay, so the, the smaller kibbutz, not as known an event. There were eight people fighting against 65 terrorists, and you know, only five people died. I think six were taken captive from there. Only, I say, Sagraim. Uh, but the contrast, and the, the fighters that were there were talking to them. This is real. It's not a video. This is like that guy, those guys, Daniel, I'll talk about it in a second. It sounds like going on. He says that there's one family that had was positioned at this point in the kibbutz. They decided their strategic position would be there, here, in point A. Point B was less strategic for them, but they gave up on their better position to be in a place where they could protect this couple that was holed up in this house and they had a little kid with breathing problems and there was smoke all over and they kept sticking their kid out the window to take a few breaths and bring him in in danger. That was that was our position. The Hamas guys are sitting opposite them, 50, 100 yards, 150 yards around the decks, and they sent in their civilians to go scout the camp. And they point out the contrast. We were endangering ourselves for our civilians, and they're using their civilians as cannon fodder to send out the camp. You know, without it sounded like they were without weapons, and there was there were, you know you know there were thousands or hundreds and hundreds of civilians, Gazans that came in, and these guys were walking through the walking through. So that was just a shocking thing. We met a true true hero. I have a picture with him. I put up my status looks like there was but uh, named Daniil. And he was called the Rav Shatz, like the first responders. He's in charge of the first responders and that. And he was, you know, Mamish Moshe for hours and hours and hours. And thank God he lived to tell the tale. They also point out to right here, this is where Asaf Kamami was like the highest ranking person who died. He was a colonel or a, or a half general, I don't know exactly. He died. The shows he died here. Like this is where he died. So uh, unfortunately, Kibbutz were closing up, so by the time you get there, you might not be able to get in. One thing about this, Daniel, which is amazing, is that he was living on a secular kibbutz, not a religious guy, um, and he said, they used to call me Donnie. He said, I don't want to be called Donnie anymore. Danny, Donnie, call me Daniel. He said, why? I heard it, I didn't get it. And, and I'll tell you the full story. I didn't plan on saying this just because of the crowd. He said, because I don't want to, after what I saw on October 7th, I don't want to take the Shem Hashem, the Aleph Lamed, I don't want to be called Danny anymore. I want to make sure I'm always referred to with the Shem Hashem, with the Aleph Lamed in my name. Rabbi Haber heard that. He, st- he broke down crying when he heard that. Mama, she was sitting next to him. He started crying. So a highlight for me um, was the supposed to speak in the very Migunit. Migunit, you know what Migunit means? There was, uh, there were bomb shelters. And so there were, like, not bomb shelters, uh, you know, things against shrapnel. Like a bomb shelter, right? On the side of the road. And there was one where many people were died, and, and we put the yeshiva in as many as probably 20, 25, 30 people were stuffed in there. You can see pictures of this. They, they have pictures. I don't have one, but they have pictures. And there was a fellow named Aner Shapiro who gave his life there, and I was open to speak there, which was chilling. Um, he said, and I want to take a lesson out from him, that um, he put everybody in the back, and he stood in the front. And he was at the party like everybody else at the party. He, wasn't in, he was also in a high-ranking uh, a top unit. But he was off duty. I think he was at the party, and he was, was just close to the party, like five minutes away. And they're all hiding in the stead. He said they're going to start throwing grenades in, and I'll get them and I'll throw them out. Can you imagine? And he was over to save seven people end up living. He threw out, I think, seven grenades. The eighth one killed them. They, they could, you could see it. And I was, I spoke about him. Um, you know, what's the lesson? Obviously, his bravery is imagine is you know enormous to be off duty and 
sacrifice yourself. But, but the point I want to bring out, which, which I mentioned there, was his calm. You know, we get undone by any little thing. No chimichurri for my hamburger? For my vegan burger? What, what's up? Why, why do we go to this restaurant? And he kept his cool and saved his life against so much, so, so much going the other way. I'll share one quick final finish. You have to know, and here I'm going to ask everybody uh, humbly to take on a certain hanhaga, which I try to do myself. If you want to do it, do it. This is a historic battle with, with biblical roots. You can read about it. And I'll tell you one pick of the rule other. After Avram left, um, Avram left, uh, uh, Yishmael left Avram. And uh, that's all we really see of Avram Yishmael. And Yishmael, of course, came to the burial and did some type of tshuva because he put Yitzchak in front of him, which were re- waiting to see the Maaseh Avon Simulabonim every day. But Avram, the measure says, visited Yishmael. Very interesting. Three years later, he went on a donkey, and Sarah said to him, Avram, you can go, but don't get off the donkey. You don't want Avram spending too, time, too much time with Yishmael. She didn't want it because she knew that, she knew that Avram had a certain natiyah, a certain proclivity to Yishmael. So don't get off the donkey. Avram goes, and he said, asked, unbeknownst to Yishmael wasn't there, and his wife was there. He said, do you have some, uh, can I have some bread and water? She said, no, we don't have any. So he said, okay, tell Yishmael that an old man came, and he gave him like some remez that meant to get rid of her, because she's not a balas chesed. <laughs> and he did. Avram comes back three years later. He has a new, new wife named Fatuma, which I think, uh, I think Muhammad's daughter was named Fatuma, based on this measure. I think. The, the Radal, Rav Davilori, was a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal scholar, knew everything, everything. It's, it's incredible. His parish on the Pirkei of the it's really real work. You want to see Mamish Omen al Dover Cotton Dover something else. He says that that uh, Muhammad thinks about the I think he's talking about Muhammad, he says the the Muslim lawmakers, I think he means Muhammad, took a lot of Midrashim. So he thinks that he named his daughter Fatuma or Fatima based on this Midrash. Anyway, so then this Fatima is is Yishmol's wife. And the same same thing. Don't get off the donkey. Do you have do you have bread and water? Yeah, bread and water. Yeah, she does. Avram then gives a bracha to Yishmael. Do you ever hear this measure before? Avram then gives a bracha that you should have a komatsi it should be matzleif, something like that. Now, what? Why Avram is is doing so much for Yishmael? I don't know. That bothers me. Okay, but that's not my point. The figure of the Rulazah says, "What's going on?" He says, "Avram wanted to be mivarach Yishmael, and Yishmael has kel." Everybody talks about Yishma kel about the shmi aspects. I'm sure you heard they're going to make us daven and so He says another thing. He says the chesed of Yishmael is real. El Hashem Hashem. El Rachav Achanan, Kel Rachav Achanan. Kel is one of the Shemas of Chesed, right? So, to the two nations which have Chesed in them is Yishmael and Yisrael. We have uh, an Etiyah towards Chesed, and they have an Etiyah towards Achnas uh, So Avram was waiting, the first wife, Ein Bracha Shruya, the Tok Beisah Shaladim, Elab Shkutishto. So Avram knew that this first wife, I can't give a Bracha to when he's got this cheap wife. Now I see Fatuma, she's a Balad Chesed, now I can give the Bracha. And the Radal says, you see, Ariyomazeh, that the Arabs are uh, are have a lot of hachnas zorchim, right? We're not to bring them into tent. He says, even the Arab robbers will will they might kill you afterwards, but but they will give you you know they give you the left of the water and the bread. So why do I bring all this? Yishmol has schusim. They have a schus, right? There is our spotim. There is something going on. This was uh, you know from a religious Jews' perspective, it, it, it's actually it's insane what happened. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. The defense goes. Army's gone. There are a lot of, I don't want to go into that. The, the, the hours late, I haven't gone past the time. 
you know, this is something, there was a horror upon him. I don't think you have to be a very big mom in to believe that, but it's obvious to me there was a horror upon him to Yishmael. Why? I don't know. So I think, this, I don't know if you guys are like this, but once a week a person has to do this avoda to look at the, how beautiful the Jewish people is, look how messed up these people are, and turn to Hashem and say, God, don't show horror upon him to them. This is a big avoda of Cook writes about it called Sangarius of Yisrael. Lucius Levy talks about that. A person has to bring out the Shem up and climb. We all, we all have critical natures. It's a very big avoda. Whether you want to do the other part, I think I'm, I'm right, but I personally do this once a week. I try to think of nice things I see in the Jewish people. You know, I try to. And, and do that because, because at the end of the day, here's the point, guys. This is a spiritual battle. It's beyond you and me. And it's beyond Netanyahu and Abu uh, And it's beyond Hamas and IDF. This is spiritual underpinnings. It's... There's many, many, many sources from Kaimikal, from the Pirkei of the from Kabbalah, from and from obvious. Just look, you see, it's 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 history. It gives a lot of emotion, really, when you really Galus Yishmael is something that was foreseen and spoken about in many, many, many sources. I have anybody wants to have a whole list of Marmakomas and uh, more Marmakomas, which I didn't get to, but there's a lot about this. So it's so that's really ultimately that's where we have to battle them on this level somehow. Is that the way? The only way to do it? I don't know, but. But I have more to say about that, but that's topic. So here are some takeaways and action items uh, that I want to bring out that we brought out in this talk. Learn the lessons of history. Don't forget them. Don't be stupid. Learn the lessons of history and don't forget them. That is the way an intelligent person is. You have to go against your nature sometimes, and you have to look facts in the face. Facts don't have feelings. Facts are facts. You have to be careful in evaluating your facts. You have to be intellectual. You have to be smart. But it's not smart because something goes against the way we think that I don't like this certain feeling. Attach yourself fully to the battle of good against evil. What could be better than that? Know what your role is. And if your role is towards field, believe in it and be real with it. Um, ride good of Otis Hashem waves, even though they run out eventually. Right? I would suggest doing this holy abode of once a week, asking Hashem to look at us goodly. Remember the lesson of Anur Shapiro. Stay calm and focused in every situation of life. Don't make mistakes. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to, to share with everybody. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see this battle through to the end and we'll win. All the best, guys. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, guys.